I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. All right, this is The Big Douglas Show, another college football edition. Joe Scudder is in the co-host chair. Joe, what's up? What's going on? Hey, nothing. Glad to have you on. And our guest today from the J-Boys Show is Jake Crane. Jake, how are you? What's up, man? appreciate y'all having me on. I'm doing good. Just uh, ready to get the season kicked off. I know. It feels like an eternity since the last time. It also sometimes feels like it was just a couple of days. Jake, tell us a little bit about the show, man. It's exploded. Uh, you're all over the scene down there. And frankly, we're excited to have a little bit of your time. Oh, yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. Well, uh, I played at South Alabama down in Mobile, uh, coached uh, college football for the past nine years. Um, well, I, I guess you could say, you know, and now I'm, I'm almost a year into this. So, uh, nine out of the last 10 years, I guess, uh, six at the division one level and came back during the pandemic when all that was hitting and, uh, just started doing a podcast kind of off the whim. Uh, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, you know, I still don't really consider myself a member of the media, uh, but I guess I am. And, uh, now nah, man, it just took off and got a call to move to Atlanta and put in a studio. And, you know, typically we put out six shows a week seven really during the season when the season starts and we haven't put one out for a couple days because we're in this uh transition mode we got a big announcement uh coming up this next tuesday but now nah, man uh, really enjoying it and it's it's uh pretty fun looking at it from a different side and i can kind of control my own destiny a little bit more well where, where did you coach at i was at i started out when i when i was I G8 at South, um, actually with uh, my buddy Cornelius Williams, who's now the wide receiver coach at Auburn. Uh, did Juco for a little bit as a young guy. I was at South Alabama uh, for five and five years, about five and a half years, and then was up at uh, Northern, up in Montana, uh, until the COVID stuff hit and came back. So uh, a little bit everywhere. I coached Juco in Iowa for a year at Iowa Western, uh, and then was at uh, Jones County uh, Community College there in Mississippi. So kind of been a little bit everywhere. Uh, Jake, I'm curious what you found to be the most interesting or something you didn't, you know, wouldn't have thought of about this whole industry you found yourself in now. That's a great question. Um, You know, probably the thing that I find the most interesting is, (laughs) number one, I get I get to watch, you know, football games again on Saturday, which is pretty nice as opposed to being able to watch, you know, about the first half of the 11 o'clock game and you're getting ready for your game and, you know, having to watch film all week. And uh, then you get done with your game and and have to do it all over again. But, you know, uh, getting the different perspectives uh, from people in different regions of the country, I think is pretty interesting. You know, you get your Pac-12 perspective, you know, your Big 12 perspective, your SEC perspective. I kind of get a couple more flavors of ice cream, I guess. It's interesting. I don't think people realize exactly unless you did. We, we were talking about this before we hit record, but just really what the SEC is down there in the South and kind of mm-hmm. what it means. And I, I saw earlier, you know, when we're talking about realignment, it's interesting. Oklahoma and Texas are on. You mentioned, I think, and I agree with you, that it's going to take them more time than they realize to kind of adjust. Uh, it took a lot of heat for that, but it's not quite anything like playing in the SEC. 
No. And, and look, you know, my biggest thing is I, I like dissent. You know, I don't want everybody to agree with me. I, I think echo chambers, you know, we're going to be the death of us all and group think and all that. You know, you don't move forward without, you know, having people disagree. Now, you know, fan is short for fanatic. So some people are going to get upset. Some people aren't. You know, I'm not one of those guys that throws out like clickbait type stuff. I'm going to tell you what I really think. Uh, and if you think it's crazy, you may think it's crazy. If you agree with it, you agree with it. But my point is this. It's and it's not really a knock on Oklahoma or Texas, because, again, you don't know what you don't know. And, and the argument against it is, oh, well, look at the score of this poll game. Well, that's a one off. Well, what makes the SEC different isn't the one off game or the two times you have to get up a year. It is that legitimately, legitimately most years uh, before we even get to 16, at least 12 out of the 14 teams are good enough and have NFL players on their roster that if you don't show up and, and at least play halfway decent, you have a chance to get beat. I mean, you look at Oklahoma last year, losing to Iowa State and Kansas State back-to-back. Well, you're having to go through the gauntlet, and I use the word gauntlet because there's there's really good players on pretty much every team. You know, I, I've got nothing against Vanderbilt, but, you know, I'm also a realist, and, and this isn't a math contest. So uh, when, when I look at it, the depth up front, I think, is is what really separates. Because you look, there's skill guys in the Sun Belt that can play in the SEC. There's skill guys in the AAC that can play in the SEC. But the difference is not only the starting five up front, it's the five behind them. And then defensively, uh, you know, you're not going to go out and score 45, 50 points a game a week in this league. And I love what Alex Grinch has done at, at Oklahoma, but it's just a different animal when you have to go through the schedule. And people say also, and I don't mean to be too long, when it's like, well, Missouri, it only took Missouri to see, uh, they, they got in the SEC championship game really quick. Well, that's like me saying, well, you know, in 1941, Notre Dame, you know, they got in pretty quick. The league's different. It's different. And, and when you try and match eras, whether it's Jordan and LeBron or all these arguments, it's almost an impossibility because it really is apples and oranges. Yeah, that's the that was the biggest thing with Georgia in 2012 when they played Alabama in the SEC championship game. Mm -hmm. It was the depth. That's where we would lose. Georgia would, under Rick would have an, a great first string. But when it would get into that second string, and that's the three-star playing against Bama's third string. That's a five-star. It just goes downhill for you in that third, fourth quarter. Yeah. Well, to, to be successful in this league and to be able to win championships, it's not about your first 22. It's about your first four. four. Uh, and yeah. that's, that's something at the end of the day um, that, that'll never change. And, and the, if you keep looking – the league keeps getting deeper. And I can argue this year in the West that it is as deep as it has ever been from the top to the bottom in this division. Now, does that mean Alabama is going to be as elite as they were last year? I don't think so. But you're not walking into Oxford anymore, and it's a cakewalk. You're not walking into Fayetteville or playing Arkansas, and, and you just pull their pants down and run away in front of everybody. I mean, you get right. Mississippi State, Mike Leach. They can sneak up with what he does, and if you're not careful, but I mean, they scared the hell out of Georgia last year, and it's like they had 13 guys on the roster. So uh, I really could make the argument that the SEC is as deep in the West as it's been in a long time, from top to bottom. What do you think the the, the big thing that's going to happen with all this name image likeness stuff? I mean, we already see that uh, week one will be the chicken bowl. I guess they said right because the. <laughs> The uh, Clemson quarterback has got signed by Bo Jangles and, and Daniels just by. But, I mean, what what is it going to be a recruiting tool? 
I mean, is that uh, in the end what this will be? Yeah, it, it already is. I mean, that's why Nick Saban dropped that thing about Bryce Young the day before SEC media days. You know, that there are no, no. and stuff like that. And uh, now it's going to be like, well, if you come here, we can get you this and get you that. Uh, I do think it's going to be interesting, though, if, you know, what if power rate approaches a high school kid and all of a sudden your final three schools are all Gatorade schools? Are they going to build in the LOI that you can't sign with power rate? And how does that affect the recruitment of that kid? So I will say this. Kids have been getting paid for a long time. All right. Now there's more avenues. It's legal. Uh, so to me, it's it's you know, it's not as dangerous as the transfer portal, in my opinion, to the game, uh, especially football. You know, this isn't basketball. This isn't baseball where one guy can go out there and just dominate and be able to take over the game. And and uh, you have so many players on the roster that not only building that culture, but maintaining it, if it's a revolving window of guys leaving and there's two major problems right now with the transfer portal. I really, I think there, if you're going to transfer D1 to D1, or you're going to transfer up. I think there should be a sacrifice. I think you should have to sit out a year. I, I really think that. Now, I think you should be able to redshirt that year, even if you've already used a redshirt and you get that one time. I think that's a great thing. But being able to transfer interconference for Henry Toa Toa to be able to transfer from Tennessee to Alabama with no problem, from guys going to Ole Miss to Kentucky, you're going to have guys going from Auburn to Bama, Georgia to Tennessee. It's going to create a big problem in the tampering department, in my opinion, uh, when you're looking at schools that are in the same conference. That's a totally different fight. And also, the dumbest rule that is still out there right now is the 25 intake rule. It's not a one-for-one. So if I'm a coach and I, I can only sign 25 guys a year, and I have 29 guys leave, I, I can't make up for those other four. I have to eat right. those up from a scholarship standpoint. So to me, the transfer portal is way more dangerous and nefarious than NIL. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, let's get back to Georgia just a little bit. Uh, that opening game is going to be huge. It, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Getting darn freebies, and I hate to put it that way, but, like, Georgia wins that game, and, and they're really cruising, right? Well, you know, I, I tweeted out the other day that uh, Clemson and Georgia, both ways, in my opinion, and some will say not for Clemson, this game is the biggest insurance policy I've seen in an opening game in a long time. I mean, if Georgia, you win this game, Clemson's not going to have any problem in the ACC. That's a hell of a win. And Georgia has a pretty favorable SEC schedule when you compare it to others. And I think they have the most talented roster uh, from top to bottom in the league this year. Uh, you know, you beat that, you beat Clemson, you give yourself a buffer. Now you can lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game, or you can lose a regular season game, or you go undefeated the whole way and you're the number one seed in, in the whole deal. And then if you look at Clemson, you win this game, probably going undefeated, especially now that Notre Dame's not in the conference anymore. And if you lose it, you go 11-1 and one with your only loss to Georgia, who's probably still undefeated. You're going to get in the playoff as well. So uh, while losing this game would hurt, winning creates a huge buffer for you. Uh, and at the end of the day, you can't really ask for anything else because, you know, you, you'd rather lose early and you'd rather lose to a good team early than lose late. Yeah, I hope we have enough players by the time we get there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Ty Key and Darnell, and, and again, you know, the, the reports are they're going to miss three and four weeks and probably the Clemson game. That hurts. That, that's big because it's funny. Those positions, to me, almost mirror each other. The nickel and the star, whatever you want to call it, uh, yep. and the end. those are kind of the two hybrid guys that you have. 
um, you know, in, in between a guy that, that can stop the run and be able to cover the slot on defense and then be able to block for the run and run routes and catch balls on offense. Because uh, Darnell Washington, uh, you know, is going to be a huge matchup problem. I still like Georgia in that game. Uh, Jake, I'm curious what, what your thoughts on, and I know people will be surprised by this, but feels like Kirby's seat's probably getting a little hot, don't you think? <laughs> well, I think for the fans. Um, but but I, I'll say this. You don't know what you got till it's gone. And Kirby has done, and people compare him to Rick. I mean, I think Mark Rick had Georgia ranked in the top 10 for like 12 consecutive weeks was the most. And Kirby, I think it was 47 straight weeks. I mean, look, I, I understand that Georgia wants a national championship. I get it. The fact they haven't won one since 1980. I'd be pissed off too, but Kirby's going to win it eventually. It's going to happen. But I, and I say this about the next coach that replaces Nick Saban, you don't want to get in the habit of firing coaches that win a ton of games and are putting themselves in that same position. You can make that same argument for Lincoln Riley. Why don't Oklahoma fans want to fire Lincoln Riley? I think he's 0 for 3, 0 for 4 uh, in semifinal games and in those playoff games. Eventually he's going to win it. But you do not want to get in the business of firing guys that are winning 10 and 11 games because then you turn into Phil uh, Tennessee, who's still chasing Phil Fulmer, USC, who's still chasing Pete Carroll. Hell, Miami's still chasing Eric Dickerson, and Nebraska's still chasing Tom Osborne. You don't want to get in that habit. And, they, and I tell you right now, I guarantee you Nebraska wishes they had Frank Solich back. Yeah. yeah. At, for the record, I'm not one of those Georgia fans that thinks you should do anything with Kirby. Other than not, not even paying them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's because, look, he's going to win it. He's going to win it eventually. And I actually think this season with JT and Munkin, uh, I call it the Saban epiphany, where you're like, oh, well, hell, we're not going to beat guys nine to six anymore and 13 to, to seven. We got to score points. And that, that doesn't mean we have to be bad on defense or we even have to change our identity as a football team. But to be malleable and to evolve is better in the long run. So, you know, at the end of the day, the coaches that aren't trying to fit square pegs in round holes as the game evolves, it costs Gus Malzahn's job, to be honest with you. Yep. Yeah, no, speaking it, of, speaking of Saban, though, speaking of Saban, I have a question. When is he going to get it wrong on hiring, <laughs> hiring an OC? Well, you know, I, I, I wouldn't – <laughs> I wouldn't bet against them. I'm just wondering when uh, they're going to fuse his body with a robot. and He's just going to coach it out <laughs> for thousand years until the robots take over. But look, I mean, counting on that guy to get one wrong is like betting on Clay Thompson to miss a free throw, man. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. And, and you're right. I've been talking about this for a while now. It, it feels like five years ago, and I don't know why it took Kirby so long, but Saban realized, listen, we'll play the same way, but we've got to score you know, I mean, you just the, the days of, to your point, the days of beating guys six to three and 17, 14. No way. The offense is just skewed too much to their side that you're going to put up huge points. It felt like Kirby got there just a little late. Um, I'm curious. The, another on the realignment I saw the other day, basically, the SEC was like told uh, what was it? Clemson and um, Florida State. Yeah, that they didn't get in Florida State, that's right, that they didn't get enough clicks and views uh, to be high up on their priority list. And I thought to myself, is that really where we're at, you know, is it like clicks and views to be part of the conference? 
Well, yeah, look, it's about eyeballs and it's about the bottom line. I mean, you look at because, you know, again, a lot of it's about markets, too, you know, and, and Texas is such a big brand name. And obviously the Longhorn Network's probably going to cease and they're just going to add that umbrella under the SEC network. I think the SEC network's revenue is about to go from seven billion to 14 billion or something nuts like that. Add in Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, but, you know. I don't think we're even close to done with realignment. Uh, to me, I think Texas and Oklahoma was a preemptive move on something else that's going on. Uh, I think you're going to see the merger of, of, you know, whether it's the, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 or the ACC and the Big 10 or hell, maybe all four of them. And they call it the alliance and face the SEC for interstellar domination. I, I don't know. But uh, I don't think we're done seeing the SEC ad teams like the. the the Clemson part to me is intriguing to me because if you look at the teams you add, I mean, Texas and Oklahoma is a huge rivalry. That's you're adding, adding that to Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, Florida. I mean, go down the list. So if you add Clemson, now you've got Clemson, South Carolina, you've got Clemson and Georgia and Clemson and Auburn, you know, when they play, which has been a pretty big one, Florida and Florida state, if you were to add them. So I wonder yep if you are going to see maybe the SEC pick a few more of these schools off, if that, that alliance really starts to shake. <clears throat> how many, how many that, conferences do you think we end up with here when it's all said and done? Well, I mean, if, if we're ta are we talking about power conferences or are we talking about group of fives too? Because the, the way I look at it is I think you're either going to have a P4 or a P3. Uh, that's what I think you're going to get the most – See, the thorns in the side of this thing to me is the AAC and the Mountain West. Well, what do they do in the grand scheme of things? Does Mike Orasco say, hey, guys, you know, look at what we've created down in the AAC. I mean, we'll, we'll go up against the ACC outside of Clemson because really it's Clemson and everybody else, especially up front in the ACC. Don't give me Miami. Don't give me Florida State yet, but I do like the Norvell hire. I think they're recruiting at a really high clip uh, as well. So – you know, I, the landscape is, it's going to look crazy. It's going to continue to shift, but what does the AAC and the Mountain West do and how does this play into it? That's what I'm interested to see. And, and how long do the rest of the schools allow Notre Dame to continue going independent with this, right? You, you know, Notre Dame to me is like the girl that was, and, and I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, the girl that was very beautiful in her twenties and now she's 65 and not that she's not pretty, but she still thinks that she's as good looking as 25 year old or, you know, I always say spandex is a privilege, not a right. Uh, it just seems like Notre Dame to me uh, thinks there's something they're not. And, and I get it. I get it that they've made the playoff and all that stuff. But if you go to the playoff and you never win, it's like being the skinniest kid in fat camp. It doesn't matter like, like that, that. That really doesn't matter. And I'm sick of having to appease Notre Dame. You know, sure. like we owe Notre Dame something like it, like because to me, me growing up, I mean, I haven't seen them win anything. And, and I think Brian Kelly's a good coach, but you can't act like a big dog if you're not doing big dog things. And they every and it's not like these games are close in the playoff either. And, and again, no. you can't sit here and scream, you know, I'm a beast. I'm a beast. Uh, when you're when you're playing, you know, half people half your size and then you play somebody that's legit. And I get that they beat Clemson last year. Clemson didn't have Trevor. I thought Ian Book was a witch. I thought he was great. But I'm just I, it's not my granddad's Notre Dame. I, I don't believe in them like that. So they either need to join a conference or just stop acting like they do. I, I think it's one or the other. What do you, uh, what does what in your opinion does SEC realignment look like as far as 
Mm-hmm. Is it divisions or, or yeah. those pods or whatever they were talking about? Well, again, I think it's they're going to do whatever creates the best matchups to make the most money, which I'm all about having the best matchups, so I'm fine with it. Yeah. But to me, I understand why you don't do it like the SEC does in basketball, where there's not divisions, there's not pods. You have your three main teams that you play, and you rotate with everybody else. Because right now with divisions, you'll have teams not play each other for four or five, six, even seven years sometimes. But if you go the straight-up model, uh, you have your three mainstays, and through four years, you can play everybody. So I, it, to me, that's the whole goal of scheduling, is to try and make everybody play everybody and make the schedules as even as possible. Now, you'll never make them all even. That's an inexact science, and I don't expect that. But to keep it at divisions, to me, would not make sense. Now, because you add more teams, you have to add more games in conference. You can't have one of those without the other. So I think we're going to see at least once Texas and Oklahoma jump in, which I think is going to be next season. I don't see them waiting around too long or the Big 12 keep them in. I think what you're going to end up seeing – is that they go to a nine-game conference schedule as opposed to an eight-game conference schedule right now. If Alabama is the prohibitive favorite in the West uh, and Georgia is in the East, I'm curious who you think has got the best shot of knocking either team uh, off this year. Well, in the West, you know, I really like LSU and A&M. Uh, I don't think Auburn's offensive line is good enough. I think the defense is going to be good enough. Uh, you, you know, you've got to see Bo Nix. They've got a young wide receiver court, Auburn. But I look at LSU, and LSU to me does really well as the outsider. And coming off last year, which was a disaster, we know that. Uh, and, again, it was anomaly being 2020, but that obviously wasn't what LSU fans expected coming off a national championship. They're loaded talent-wise. I think Max Johnson was always going to be the guy. I hate Miles got hurt. I think it's going to change the way they kind of call plays a little bit. Uh, with Max in the run game, but I think he's super talented. Uh, while they don't have an, an emerging back, I mean, I like Emery and, and some of the guys, they have enough in the backfield. The offensive line's still somewhat of a question mark, and they did lose Dare Rosenthal to Kentucky, uh, and I'll get to Kentucky in a second. Uh, but AM, Jimbo to me has done the best job of building a team inside out uh up front because again guys you know this y'all keep up with it a&m's never had a problem scoring points that that's never been a problem it's stopping anybody and last year they had the number one defense they're damn good on the defensive line demarvin leal straight out of mordor i mean that dude's a freak show uh edger and cooper at backer they've got depth there the secondary i question their speed a little bit but they've got experience they know how to play leverage they can play zone they can play man they understand the system and they keep recruiting really well and i love the offensive line at a&m Uh, Looking at the East, I got Kentucky finishing second. I don't think anybody's going to challenge Georgia, honestly. Uh, But I love what Mark Stoops is doing. They're actually going to throw the Ford pass this year, uh, which, you know, is great considering they've been running that 1934 offense for the past three years. And look, it's kind of worked for them a little bit. But Liam Cohen, I think, was the sneakiest of the offseason as a coordinator. He's a Sean McVay protege, a witch of the highest order, and they don't have the book out on him yet, which is huge. Uh, and, you know, I think Florida is going to take a step back. Uh, I love Dan Mullen as an offensive guy, offensive mind and a play caller, but they're not going to replicate what they did last year on offense. And I don't think there's more pressure on any coordinator, maybe in college football, than there is on Todd Grantham and that Florida defense to show up. We all know what happened last year in week three, the Bama boys are rolling in. And if you don't stop them, Mullen may pull the plug because that contract isn't what it was last year and Dan's trying to get to the NFL as fast as humanly possible. Amazing that Grantham is still got defensive coordinator jobs. Somebody's got to explain it to me because I don't get it. 
Look, I think last year they were winning and he didn't want to fire them and rock the boat and they won the East, you know, so you don't want to cause that distraction to your team when you have a chance to win the East, especially once they beat Georgia. But this year, if they lose to Bama and it's not going good, because look, they go to LSU or to, to Kentucky, I believe to LSU, to Missouri, to South Carolina, Bama at home, Georgia and Jacksonville. I mean, you know, there's yeah. three or that's a tough look. That's a tough look. So uh, I think Florida takes a step back, and I'm interested to see what Missouri does. But can, I don't think anyone's going to challenge Georgia. Give me Kentucky second in the East, and I think it's going to be a battle between LSU and A&M, and I do think Alabama loses a regular season game. Well, that's never been Georgia's issue, though, with someone going to challenge them. <laughs> always- yeah, well, you know, and, and again, <laughs> and again, you know, that's, that's the one hump that they have to get over. But I promise you this. I'd much rather the one hump I have to get over be that than have to get over six different humps like other teams are, are yeah. going. Through. Yeah, that that Florida schedule is tough. Yeah, it's first world. First, I call it a first world problem. <laughs> hey, Jake, we appreciate you coming on the show today. Tell the people where they can find you and what you got coming up next. Doug, I appreciate it, Joe. Great to meet you guys. Uh, would love to come on whenever y'all do a heck of a job. I really enjoy y'all's work as well. Uh, we've had to take a few days off on the show because we're transitioning to something big we're going to announce this next week. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The J-Boy Show. You can still subscribe on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, our YouTube channel, even though there may be some uh, shaking and baking going on over there soon. Uh, but, you know, we're always putting out content on the social media. Took a little field trip over the College Football Hall of Fame today. Got an announcement coming with that as well. So check us out. No politics, all ball. That's how we do it. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Appreciate it, man. All right, guys. Thanks. See you, See you Doug. Well, that guy's a professional. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, I really.